Take your Bible, if you would. We're going to look at the book of 1 John. And we recently started a, a series in our church. We'll stand together and read this passage. But 1 John chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 1 through 5 together. And since you're standing with me, I'm going to ask you to join me aloud on the even number of verses. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. Would you do that with me? Amen. All right, so let's read it together. 1 John 1, verses 1 through 5. You'll join me aloud on the even number of verses. That was just from the beginning. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Before you sit down, let's have a word of prayer, and let's ask God's continued blessing on this service. Lord, thank you tonight for the great privilege we have to be in church here in the middle of the week. And Lord, I do thank you for this great church and these great people uh, that are here. And Lord, faithful, uh, just so many of them, uh, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. And God, we are so thankful for Pastor Fong and his family. And I, I pray, God, your continued blessings and strength for him. And God, we're a needy people tonight. We need to hear from you. We know it. And God, we ask that you would speak to our hearts through your word tonight. Uh, that you'd help us tonight. Uh, that you'd strengthen us tonight. That you'd encourage us. Lord, that you convict us. And God, we'll thank you for what you do. Uh, we pray that everything that's said and done here on this campus tonight and all the different meetings will bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you for that and pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Can you picture John here writing this epistle? John, the beloved apostle, the one that was part of the inner circle of Jesus Christ? Can you see John, though, advanced in age? John, though, older, still actively ministering to churches. Think about that for a moment. You know, we're never done. We can always do something for Jesus Christ, and we should. And none of us can do everything. But we can and we should all do something for Jesus Christ. And as the last remaining apostle, think about that for a moment. The stories people had heard and the stories that were passed down from fathers to children. Here John, the last remaining apostle, you can imagine how his testimony was so greatly sought after. And people wanted to hear from him, and they'd say, John, tell us what it was like. John, tell us what you know. And John, who had this firsthand experience with the Lord Jesus, what a blessing. John sat with Jesus. John walked with Jesus. John prayed with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. 
John knew Jesus Christ and he knew him personally. And John, this beloved apostle John, who had known Christ so well, knew him intimately. In a way even that the other disciples, other than Peter and James, did not know. So many times they were alone with Jesus when no one else was there. He was concerned and grieved. And the reason he was concerned, the reason he was grieved, there was false teachings about Jesus Christ that were being spread. And in this epistle, this letter, John fights against that false teaching. And I want you to look back at 1 John chapter 1, verse number 1, and I want you to note those, those first words, which are really powerful words. John says, that which was from the beginning. By the way, those are great words. John made it very clear. Are you, are you, are you following this? That, that Jesus Christ did not begin in Bethlehem. He says, you know, Christ has always existed. I mean, he says, you have to understand that which was from the beginning, he says, look, he existed before the world was created. He was living then. He's always been living. He was there in the beginning. Think of John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. There was never a time when the Word did not exist because the Word is God. My dad used to often say, son, Jesus Christ is somebody. And he is somebody because Jesus Christ is God. And John was saying, look, I, I hear all you have to say, but he said, I'm going to make it very clear to you that Jesus Christ, he was there in the beginning. And the reason he was there in the beginning is because Jesus Christ is God. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And we live in a day and time when people like to debate about Jesus Christ and they, they like to throw their arguments in about Jesus Christ. And John says, you know what? I'll just tell you one thing. He was from the beginning. And only one could possibly be from the beginning and that one will be God. And then go on because this is awesome. He said that which is from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life. It's believed that this epistle was written between 90 and 100 AD. And as I mentioned to you, false teaching had crept in regarding Jesus Christ. False teaching that attacked the Lord's deity. False teaching that attacked, believe it or not, his humanity. People were saying that Jesus was God, but he was not man at all. Well, there's a problem with that because if he had not been the God-man, he could not have been our mediator. The Bible says there is one God and there's one mediator between God and men, and that's the man Christ Jesus. The word is made flesh that dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Aren't you thankful he was the perfect God-man? He faced temptation like you and I do, yet without sin. The Bible says we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Then there were some that were saying well he's, he's God he's, but he's not man. Others saying well he's man but he's not God at all. He's Joseph's son. And I want you to understand hey Jesus Christ was not Joseph's son. He was born of a virgin just like it was prophesied 700 years before the time of Jesus Christ. 
And John draws a line in the sand here. He said, look, you got to understand, I'm going to share with you some things that are not debatable. I want you to see what he said. That which we have heard. John said, I want you to understand. I, I hear what you're saying about Jesus Christ, saying he's not God, saying he wasn't man. He said, I want you to understand that he was some kind of phantom. He said, I want you to understand, I have met Jesus Christ personally, and I personally, I heard him speak. John said, look, I was with him through his entire ministry. In fact, John the apostle recorded more that Jesus personally said than any other apostle. John heard him speak. John heard him speak time and time again. He personally heard Jesus teach. He personally heard Jesus preach. He heard, personally heard the words of Jesus Christ spoken by Jesus Christ. And he heard those words themselves. He said, that which we have heard. He said, look, you say what you want to say, but I heard him. I was with him. I heard him speak. I heard him still the storm. I heard that voice. And he said, listen, like the Bible says, no man ever spake like him. Then he says, that which we have seen with our eyes. He said, I, I heard him. But I want you to understand that I saw Jesus Christ personally. I am not just an ear witness. He said, I am a eyewitness. He says, look, we saw him multiply a boy's lunch and feed over 5,000 people. We watched him give hearing to those who've been deaf. We watched him give sight to those that have been blind. We watched him, we, we saw him raise the dead. We witnessed him ourselves turn water into wine. We personally watched him live a sinless life and then we saw him, we saw Jesus Christ suffer and bleed and die for the sins of the world on the cross. We saw it happen. And we saw him with our own eyes as he physically rose from the dead. From his baptism by John the Baptist to his bodily resurrection, we saw him. We have seen these things with our eyes. You say, well, Pastor Tim, we, we have not physically seen Jesus Christ. But may I say tonight, we can see him through the eyes of faith. One preacher said, faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Through faith in the Lord, we can see what others cannot see. When there's true faith in the heart, God bears witness to that heart by his faith. Think about this. By faith, Noah saw coming judgment. By faith, Abraham saw a future city. By faith, Joseph saw a Exodus from Egypt. By faith, Daniel and the three Hebrew children saw God's control of their lives. By faith, Moses saw God. And by the way, you can see God through eyes of faith. I tell people often, look, if you don't believe the Bible is the word of God, I became convinced the Bible was the word of God for five reasons. Number one, the Bible claims to be the word of God. It does not impeach itself. 66 books written over 1,500 years on three different continents and three languages pinned by 40 men and it doesn't contradict itself. That's humanly impossible. The Bible's prophetically accurate. 
The Bible says in Deuteronomy 18, if somebody prophesies something in the name of God and they miss even one prophecy, their prophecies did not come from God. God never misses once. The Bible's scientifically accurate. Every time the Bible and science have intersected, the Bible has always been proved to be true because the Bible's the Word of God. The Bible's historically accurate. But I will tell you, the greatest proof of the Word of God to me is the power that the Bible has to change people's lives. It's unbelievable. And people can say what they want to say. I sat in a house on Saturday with a, a man and, and a lady, and she has been saved. He is not saved. He said, you know what? There's one thing I cannot doubt, and I cannot explain away. He said, she's different. That's what the Word of God will do. That's what God can do. And then John goes on, and he said this. It's really interesting. Look what he says. That which we have looked upon. Well, that's interesting. He's already said that which we've heard. He's already said that which we have seen. And now here he is saying that which we have looked upon. Well, why did he say that twice? Isn't John just repeating what he's already said? And the answer is no. Because the word seen means to look upon with physical sight. But I want you to see something tonight. Those words looked upon are far stronger than the word seen. The words looked upon mean much more than a passing glance. The words looked upon will be talking about a, a steadfast searching gaze. A probing look which seeks to discover something of the mystery of Jesus Christ. The same words found in John 1.14. The word is made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And John says, you know what? We looked upon him. We studied him. We looked long and hard to understand him. We wanted to understand, we wanted to grasp this meaning and significance of his person. Can't you hear the Apostle Paul crying out that I may know him? Have you beheld the glory of Jesus Christ? You ever stop just to comprehend the significance of who God is, by the way, and what he's done for us by paying our sin debt on that cross? Could I ask you tonight? Are you walking with him? Do you desire to know him in a greater way today than yesterday? To be closer to God than you were? You know what? I ask people sometimes, they say, look, how long have you been saved? And they'll say, well, I've been saved for 10 years or I accepted Jesus Christ 15 years ago. And the question I often ask myself is this, I wonder if they've grown every one of those 10 years or, or grown every one of those 15 years or I wonder if they just repeated that first year 15 times. That I may know him. The song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. 
and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And John says, we've seen him, we've, we've touched him, we've, we've looked upon him. And look what he says, our hands have handled of the word of life. He says, not only have we, we seen him, I hear what you're saying. I hear these, these silly arguments. But he said, not only have we seen him and heard him, but we've handled him. We walked with him. We talked with him. We ate with him. We've even touched him. And John said, I just want to tell you something right now. There's no doubt. Jesus Christ is real. And John said, you know what? I, I hear you false teachers spouting your lies that, that Jesus was a phantom in a human body. But John said, no, no, no. There's no way because he not only touched us physically, he touched our hearts. He touched our souls. He said, look, he, he changed my life. There's no greater proof than that. He said, look, there's nothing you can say that would make me doubt what Jesus Christ has done in my life. How's the fellowship with him tonight? Sometimes it's easy to stray, isn't it? It's easy to drift. But our heart's prayer has got to be, Lord, nothing between my soul and the Savior. And then I want you to see what he says in verse number two. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness. May I say tonight, the most important thing in life is to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. But once we know Him, He really wants us to make Him known. The Apostle John said, well, look, I, I've seen Him. I've heard Him. I've looked upon Him. I've touched him. And he said, I just have to share what I've seen. I just have to tell somebody what I know. I just, I just can't hold it in. His name is Roger Sims. He was hitchhiking his way home and he would never forget the date. It was May 7th. His heavy suitcase made Roger tired. He was very anxious to get home, very anxious to take off his uniform from the army once and for all. Flashed in the hitchhiking sign to an upcoming car, he lost hope when he saw that it was a, a brand new Cadillac. But to his surprise, the car stopped. The passenger door opened. He ran toward the car and tossed his suitcase in the back. He thanked the handsome, well-dressed man as he slid in the front seat. And 
They talked about where he was going. The man said, I can get you there. I'm, I'm headed towards Chicago. My name's Hanover. I have a business there. After talking about many things, Roger A. Christian felt a compulsion to witness to this 50-ish, apparently successful businessman about Christ. But he kept putting it off until he realized he was just 30 minutes from his home. And so he realized it was now or never. So Roger cleared his throat and said, Mr. Hanover, I'd like to talk to you about something that's very important. And he asked Mr. Hanover if he knew he was going to heaven. And he began to explain the way of salvation. And when he got to the end, he said, Mr. Hanover, I have to ask you, would you like to accept Jesus Christ and your heart as your personal Savior? Mr. Hanover began to pull the car over, and Roger was convinced that he was going to throw him out of the car. But that's not what happened. He put his head against the steering wheel, and he began to weep. And he prayed, and he said, Roger... I do accept Jesus Christ. He said, this is the most important thing that's ever happened to me. Five years went by. Roger married. He had a two-year-old boy of his own and a business of his own. And he had a business trip in Chicago. As he packed, he found a little white business card of, of Hanover Industries. And he decided to, to look up Mr. Hanover and he arrived at the offices and a receptionist told him that he could not see Mr. Hanover, but he could see Mrs. Hanover. A little confused as to what was going on, he was ushered into a lovely office and he found himself face to face with a, a keen-eyed woman in her 50s. She extended her hand and she said, you knew my husband. And Roger told her how her husband had given him a ride when he was hitchhiking home after the war. She said, could you tell me when that was? He said, yes, it was May 7th, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the Army. Anything special about that day? Roger hesitated. Should he mention giving his witness? Since he had come so far, he thought, well, I might as well take the plunge. And he said, Mrs. Hanover, I explained the gospel of Jesus Christ to your husband. He pulled his car over to the side of the road. He wept against his steering wheel, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ that day. Explosive sobs shook her body. Getting a grip on herself, she sobbed and said, I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I believe God would save him. And Roger said, ma'am, where is your husband? And she said, Roger, he's dead. As she wept, she said, he was in a car crash after he let you out of his car. He never made it home that day. Two weeks ago in our church, I gave this story. And I asked this question. Is the Lord putting people in your path so that you might share the gospel with them? And two weeks ago, I asked our church this question, are you perhaps their only hope to hear the truth? Well, a week and a half ago, just a few days after I'd given that story to our church family, I was at home and I was getting, it was Saturday, and I had a wedding that morning and I'd gone to see my dad who's been ill in the afternoon and I came home, I made all my phone calls for 
church and Sunday school and I went out to wash my wife's car real quickly this Saturday afternoon and I have given tracks more than once to my whole, my whole street. There's about 18 houses on my street. We had the privilege to lead one of our neighbors to Christ. She and her family attend our church now. There are others on my street that I've tried more and often, and I've tried over and over again, that I've been able to catch them at home. But I have a neighbor directly across from me that I hadn't run into very often. He worked midnights. I'm sad to say I didn't even know his name. He was sitting on a chair in front of his garage that Saturday just a week and a half ago. And the Lord spoke to my heart. I had just given that story. I had just asked our church, who's your Mr. Hanover? And the Holy Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, Tim, you need to get across the street and give that guy a gospel track. And again, I tried in our street. I'd given tracks to every house. I invited people to church. But I walked across the street and I walked up to my neighbor and I said, you know what? I need to give this to you. I said, it's an invitation to our church, but there's also some scripture verses from the Bible on the inside that'll tell you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. And as long as I live, I'll never forget both things he said to me. The first thing he said to me was, after all this time? And I'm going to tell you what, that about killed me. And then he looked at me and he asked this question. He said, how could you know what I've been going through? And I said, you know, I don't know. I said, but God wanted me to come over and give this to you. I said, could I ask you, if we were to die today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? He said, I'd go to hell. I said, would you allow me 15 minutes to show you from the Bible how you can know for certain you're on your way to heaven? And he said, yes. His wife came out and she said, well, she said, Tim, I just want you to know what's going on. We're splitting up. She said, I'm looking for a place to live right now. We're splitting up. I said, would you both come to my house? And she said, yes. So we sat at my kitchen table and I'm going to give this couple, my neighbors right across the street, Randy and Melody, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I asked Randy the question. I said, Randy, would you like to accept Jesus Christ in your heart as your personal Savior? And he looked at me and he said, Tim, I absolutely would. As he began to pray, his wife began to weep. I finished praying with Randy and I asked Melody, I said, Melody, do you know for sure you're saved? She said, yes, I do, but I'm way far from God. I said, 
Melody, would you be willing to work at this marriage if I was to help you? And she said, absolutely. She said, I want you to know we we're putting our house in the market next month. Well, Randy came to my house last Thursday, a week ago tomorrow, for discipleship. We sat down for about an hour and 15 minutes and worked our way through the first discipleship lesson. And he said, hey, you need to tell me about church. And I said, well, this is what we do. And I told him about our app and I, and I gave him some tools and he said, well, we're coming. Sunday they did come. They sat in the second row. We took them to lunch. And I asked Randy, he said, hey, Randy, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing great. He said, in fact, Tim, he said, I had all these games on my phone that I used to play every morning when I get up to go to work. He said, but I just feel like I needed, I needed to erase those that I did. They're gone off my phone. He gets up in the morning, leaves for work at four, and I asked him, I said, well, Randy, what do you do now when you wake up? He said, well, I just read my Bible. I got home last night. I texted him again. I said, Randy, how's it going? He said, well, I can't wait for Thursday. He said, I'm listening to one of your messages right now. In a week's time, he'd already read the whole Gospel of John through. He'd already answered 80 questions. <laughs> I gave him a book on being a Christian man. He'd already read 100 pages of that. Amen. He says, I just have some work I've got to do. I said, Randy, how's... How's the marriage going? I said, Melody, how's the marriage going? They looked at me with a big smile and said, great. Amen. In fact, I went by their house on Saturday morning before the church Sunday, and they're outside, and they're getting ready for a yard sale. And she said, you know, we're going to sell our stuff because we're going to sell this house. And she said, we're still going to have the yard sale. We're going to have it for a different reason now. But as long as I live, I mean, I'm telling you, I tried. In fact, I, I'm so convicted about being a witness that I've, I've made a commitment to God that I don't want a day to go by without giving a gospel tract to at least somebody. And that's something I've been able to do for the Lord, and I, I, I believe in it. But let me ask you a question. Who do you know? Who do you live near? Who do you work with? That if you asked them the same question, they look at you and say, after all this time? And God spoke to my heart and he said, Tim, you need to get back out there on your street again. And you've got some new neighbors and you've got some people you need to try again. After all this time. So I want to ask you a question tonight. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? Could I ask you this question tonight? If I asked you who you knew that really need Jesus Christ... Who is it God had put on your mind? 
Is it a neighbor? Is it a coworker? Is it a son or daughter? A mom or a dad? Someone you do business with? Who is it that right now God's put on your heart? You know. Could I ask you tonight? I'm going to pray with you. But I want, when I'm done praying with you, I'm going to invite you to bow your knee right there at that chair and pray for that person. That God will give you the opportunity. I thought to myself, well, what if I hadn't talked to him that night? What if they'd moved? I would have never seen them again. If not us, then who? If not now, then when?